Well, as you are getting your Bibles and turning to Philippians chapter 2, um, we did have a, a big event in here yesterday, and it was Ryan Gray and Janie Steindorf's wedding, if we have that picture up. Um, what a beautiful couple that got married here yesterday, our college and single adult minister and Janie Steindorf and our pastor emeritus. That was a wonderful day to celebrate their wedding and just wanted y'all to see this beautiful picture that was taken. And uh, we'll pray for Ryan and Janie as they started this new life together. And they're in honeymoon stage right now, literally. Um, So pray for Ryan and Janie as they uh, go away and have fun together and then welcome them back. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into this this morning. Philippians 2, 19 through 30, the priority of genuine concern. That's where we're going to tackle this morning. But before we dive into that, I want to ask you a question that looks back a little bit. Last week, if you are aware, we talked about grumbling, about griping and complaining. We talked about that stuff that just seems to happen in us on a daily basis where we just have events and circumstances that we just get angry about. And so we've read Philippians 2 that talks about don't uh, grumble about anything. Our question or that you would be blameless is children without blemish in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation. So I'll ask you this question. Was this week grumbly? Did you have a grumbly week? Some of you are having a grumbly morning. Oh, Lord. Okay. So was your week grumbly? I'll tell you, as I walked out of the church last week, I went to a hamburger establishment that will remain nameless, and I ordered my favorite, a double with a slice of cheese in the middle. I don't need all that other stuff on there, the ketchup and the mustard and the mayonnaise and the pickle and the lettuce and the tomato. I don't need all that. I just need two slabs of meat and a piece of cheese and two pieces of bread, all right? That's all I need. And so as we left out of here teaching and preaching on grumbling and complaining, can you imagine what this unnamed restaurant gave to me as I pulled through the drive-up through line, the drive-through line, Anything but two slabs of meat, a piece of cheese in the middle, and two pieces of bread on either side. This thing was a sloppy mess of mess up. Now, I had a choice. Do you not? Well, Mark, you just preached on grumbling, griping, and complaining. So what do you do with this mess of a hamburger? I'll not tell you. Um, So we come to these situations and circumstances in which we face exactly what we talk about on Sunday mornings. And so my question for you is, was your week filled with grumbling? Were you more acutely aware of the grumbling that you do? Were you more aware of how often on a weekly basis or a daily basis or an hourly basis or a minute-by-minute basis that you are grumbling and complaining? And so then let's move it to this point. Was your week the same? Did you walk through this past Sunday, leave out the doors, recognize, hey, we live in a grumbly world and then do nothing about it? I hope not. Or maybe lastly, your week was bright. Maybe you had one of those weeks that you shined as a bright light in the midst of a crooked generation. Maybe that was your week. And the reason I'm giving you this exercise is not just to talk about, hey, did you have a grumbly week? But to ask ourselves week after week, when we come into the church, are we doing something with what we've learned? My goal is not to fill your heads with a little bit more information every week or for us to sing your favorite worship song. Our goal when we exit out the back of this church and into our cars is to be people of difference in the world around us. And so I'll ask you, are you any different now? Did you have a a brighter week? 
And if not, know that the devil and all the forces of our world will try at every turn of the hat to get you to do the exact opposite of everything you read about in God's word and everything you study and sing about. You will have opportunities as you walk out of this place to live it. And so this is our goal. Our goal is to not be people who merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves, but to do what it says. And so this is our goal as we come to a passage like Philippians 2, 19 through 20. So far, we've had two chock full chapters of great spiritual truth and insight. Last week, work out your faith with fear and trembling. And we talked about God's work and will to us and his good pleasure. We've talked about he who began a good work would bring it to completion. And here in Philippians 2, we have this incredible par- portion of Philippians 2, 19 through 30, that is Paul's travel plans. So what do we do with this? Do we just skip over it and say, well, it's Paul's travel plans. I guess that was just for some olden times and let's just breeze on by it because do we really want to talk about Paul's travel plans? Is that why you're here this morning? You want to go over that unnamed hamburger joint and talk about what it was like for Paul's travel plans? Is this what we're going to get this morning? And so we at times have a tendency to say, well, let's just let's run through this pretty quickly and let's get on to some more important stuff or let's find some better things in scripture that can be more enjoyable for us to talk about or more fun for Pastor Mark to preach on. But here we are finding ourselves at Paul's travel plans. And so we're, I hope you know this, but we're not gonna skip over it. Is that okay? We're gonna talk about it and we're gonna find the truth that God has for us and we're gonna figure out exactly what Paul's writing about to Timothy and Epaphroditus and we're gonna, we're gonna soak on it and we're gonna live it out as we walk out of here. So let's read it together and then let's get some background on it and let's just dive into what God is going to teach us this morning through Paul's travel plans in Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served Um, with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near, near death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send to him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray together, dear Father. We're asking your presence to be with us this morning, to help us to discern your truth so that we can walk out of this place with a difference in our lives to shine more brightly, to boldly proclaim your gospel more readily, and to have a a stronger peace in your will for our lives. Lord, we love you, and thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So let's get a little background here. You know that uh, Paul is in a prison. He's imprisoned at home in Rome, and uh, Epaphroditus has been sent by the Philippian church to Paul in, uh, in Rome to encourage him. He sent him a financial gift. He's come as a messenger of the Philippian church to Paul just to encourage him. 
to be a stand-in for the entire Philippian church, to say, we love you, we appreciate you, we're here for you, and Epaphroditus is essentially going to be a representative of our church. And so we're going to send Epaphroditus to you. He's going to be your minister. He's going to bring this financial gift that's surely going to help you. He's going to minister to needs. He's going to be there for you no matter what happens. And so Paul is writing back to the Philippian church, and we have this letter because of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus brought this letter back to the Philippian church. And so with the Philippian church welcoming back Epaphroditus and thinking that maybe Paul was going to come on his behalf, Paul is going to wait until his trial is over, until there's a conclusion, whether he's beaten, whether he's killed, whether he's released, whatever it's going to look like, Paul is going to wait until the conclusion of his trial to either go himself or send Timothy. And so he's basically going to write this portion of scripture as a letter of affirmation regarding Timothy and Epaphroditus. I don't know if you've ever written anybody a letter of recommendation or a letter of uh, recommendation for a job or a, a circumstance that they're in, but usually you start that letter with this person is, and you name a really important characteristic, right? You say this person is incredibly wise. This person is a great teacher. This person is wise beyond their years. This person is an incredible teacher and wise and prophet and evangelist, or this person has great job skills, or he's a hard worker, right? You lead with your best. And what does Paul lead with about Timothy? He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by the news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So your first point on your outline, if you have it, is Paul affirms Timothy's genuine concern for the church. Now, why is this incredibly important? Paul is going to affirm Timothy's genuine concern. Now, there's a lot of stuff that, that Paul could have written about Timothy. What you're about to meet in Timothy is an incredibly bright young man. Right? He may be a little frail in body, but he is a bright guy. He's got a brilliant mind. He's one of the best teachers all around. He's one of the best evangelists. He's going to teach you things that you never thought you could know. Paul didn't lead with. He's an incredible apostle, right? That he's going to do miraculous signs all around you. Paul didn't lead with that Timothy was an incredible evangelist. He's going to go out and share the gospel with everybody and do miraculous wonders and signs amongst all your people. So they're going to come to faith. Paul led with... The reason I want to send Timothy is because of his genuine concern for your welfare. What a profound thought that Paul is writing on Timothy's behalf. That I, am, I know that Timothy is the right person because everybody else seems to look out after their own interests, but Timothy is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Not in the sense of a, I'm concerned for you like when you call in customer service and they say, hey, how can I help you today? And you know that they don't care anything about you or your problems. You've been there, you've done that, you bought that t-shirt. You know what genuine concern looks like. A concern that walks arm in arm together for the gospel. Does that sound familiar, what Paul talked about recently? Then when we strive arm in arm, side by side for the faith of the gospel, this is genuine concern for one another. Not the passing, hey, how are you? And we walk past the hallways with one another. Timothy has a genuine concern for the welfare of the Philippian church. Again, I find this profound that of all the things that Paul could have written about Timothy in this moment to give him a letter of affirmation regarding his coming back to the Philippian church, he says his genuine concern is what sets him apart from everybody else. And friends, we live in a world, we live even in a times in a church 
in a day and age when genuine concern is one of our least concerns. That we care far too little about one another. When you talk about genuine concern, there's something deep in us. You talk about Galatians and you see a sliver of what genuine concern looks like when Paul says he has the the pains of childbirth for those that don't know the Lord. Now we had a baby three months ago and Never mind, we're not going to talk about that. So we have the pains of childbirth for those that don't know the Lord. If you've been through that, you know what that's like. For those of you who don't, maybe you've witnessed it. It's not just like a simple process. It's painful, an experience. But you see the end result in a little Nora who's beautiful. And I'm guessing, Brittany, it was worth it. And so you see the end result of it. When Paul says he has the pains of childbirth. He's saying people that don't know the Lord, this is how painful he feels for them to know the Lord. There's a deep, genuine concern that Paul has for those that don't know the Lord that's going to drive him to do something about it, to love, to care for, to get out of the pew or out of our normalcy and genuinely, deeply, lovingly, and longingly care for people, to listen to them to long for them to know Jesus and know truth and to grow closer to him. And friends, without a genuine concern that's deeper than a customer service concern, it's deeply hard to love people. It's the difference in a a collect call on a customer service line and a Chick-fil-A drive-through that you seem like if you had a marital problem, they would stop the line to help you in that moment. And in no way am I comparing genuine concern of Timothy to Chick-fil-A. I'm not at all. But I'm telling you, you see a difference in genuine concern of people. Have you been through experience in, in your life where you've witnessed the genuine concern of your brothers and sisters to make sure that you are well taken care of? When you've walked through difficult seasons of life, have people walked beside you and talked with you and listened to you? You know what it's like when somebody hears you rather than listens to you. This is what genuine concern, friends, looks like. That Paul, or excuse me, Timothy, desperately wants what is best for the Philippian church. This is what sets him apart from all the other people who may have been able to go back but didn't want to go back. They genuinely loved the church, and so they wanted what was best for it. So they labored beside it. They strove arm in arm for the face of the gospel. So this is what it looks like for us as First Baptist Church. We genuinely have concern for one another. In our Bible fellowship classes, we labor beside one another. We care for one another. We listen to each other. We long for one another to know Jesus more and more and more. And friends, we can't do that if we just come and sit and leave and take no part or ownership in the genuine concern of the people who are sitting right next to us. Friends, Paul is going to affirm Timothy's genuine concern for that church. His proven worth being battle-tested in the trenches of ministry. Friends, it is mighty hard to show genuine concern for people you have never listened to, heard from, been around, or loved, or cared for. Friends, put yourself in situations where you will genuinely be concerned about the welfare of the people God puts along your pathway. And some of us need to pray for that love. Pray, Lord, that you would well up inside of me a genuine love for my Bible fellowship class, for the people at my job sites. Lord, would you well up in me a genuine love that radiates into action on their behalf? Paul writes, I have no one like him 
I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, which if you're reminded of what we talked about in the first part of Philippians 2, you see the mindset that is Jesus, to be selfless. So you see this next point that Paul reinforces selflessness in our faith, that we would have the same mind of Jesus who, though he he was equal with God, did not count it, equality with God is a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and served and gave his life as a ransom for many, that selflessness is the key chief, uh, chief principle of our faith, humility and selflessness. And it seems so simple that we would look after the interest of others. It's a simple truth. This past week, I was reading Matthew 7, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Anybody familiar with that? Let it be known by saying amen. Thank you. Just to make sure we're all still present and available here. So the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And as I was reading Matthew 7 and looking at it on my page, I thought, man alive, I really need to make sure Micah and Helen Ann know the golden rule. Right? I need to make sure they know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is a good quality of a believer, selfless faith that they were going to do unto others as they would have them do unto you. Right? I need to instill that in Micah and Helen Ann and start singing it over Nora. And our kids need to be raised with the foundation of the golden rule. And then I thought, Mark, you probably need to listen to the golden rule. Right? These times when we come to Scripture and say, that is a good thought for other people. Right, Micah, Helen Ann, you need to know the golden rule. You need to be selfless. You need to share and you need to look out for the interests of your sister and your brother. You need to be more caring and, and loving and be a better sharer of your toys. And you need to love your sister better. And you need to look out for her interests and what makes her happy. And then it's blindsided us at times to look over scripture and teach them for other people while missing them for ourselves. And here when you see Paul write about Timothy and his interest in others and not seeking his own interest, but the interest of others. And you look at the golden rule and say that that's a great thing to teach our children. Friends, have we internalized it? Are we living in light of the golden rule that summarized the prophets and the law that we would love others with a selfless love because of what Christ has done for us? You see, Paul is gonna reinforce the selflessness of your faith, of our faith, of Timothy's faith that we don't outgrow the simple truths in our life as a believer, that the gold rule is for kids, it's too young, it's for young people. No, it is for you and me, whether we are 30, whether we are 80, or whether we are three years old, there's a place for us in the golden rule to look for the interest of others, to treat others like we want to be treated. Do we not need this in our world today for believers to love people the way that we wish to be loved, to listen to people the way that we wish to be listened, to care for people the way that we wish people people would care for us. Man, that's a deep breath. So we definitely need to reinforce this truth in us to be selfless with our faith. If you're looking for how to do that, go no further than what Paul has just previously written in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Jesus is going to give us the answer of what it looks for with his life. So Paul reinforces the selflessness in his faith. And then we move on. We see how deep this relationship was. It says that, uh, you know, Paul, Timothy's proven worth in verse 22, now as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. I want to pause just for a moment here because Paul viewed Timothy as a son in the faith. This is the kind of genuine concern that Paul had for Timothy, that he was a son in the faith. 
that he was going to walk with Timothy, talk with Timothy, encourage Timothy, make sure he's taken care of. Paul took Timothy everywhere he went. Paul is sitting in prison in a house arrest, whatever that looked like. And so Timothy is watching the way his father in the faith responded to his circumstances, watching the way Paul responded to government officials, watching the way Paul responded to naysayers and other believers, watching the way Paul lovingly crafted the gospel even in prison. Do you think that that had any effect on Timothy? Do you think any of that rubbed off on Timothy? Well, let's look in our Bibles and find out. It says that I will be, have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for the welfare, who they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. It talks about how they have equal minds, that they're similar and on the same page with ministry. That Timothy's interests have come with Paul's interests. As Timothy has watched Paul and the way he has lived his life, Timothy is emulating it. So I want to ask us, one, as Let's make this super practical, but as fathers in this room, as moms in this room, how are your kids watching you and what are they observing in your life? Do you see your kids as children in the faith that you're not just concerned about their physical well-being, but their spiritual well-being, that you're concerned that they grow up to know Jesus, that they watch you and how you study the Bible, how you face situations, how you face circumstances? Do you do it with Christ's likeness so you are raising a small disciple in the Lord? It should be a sobering question for us to consider how we are raising our kids in discipleship. But more than that, men and women in the church, do you have sons and daughters who you are discipling in the faith? Do you have people that you are pouring your life into? I think it's fascinating that all throughout Scripture, you see Jesus take on disciples. You see Paul have this disciple in Timothy. This is a portion of what we're called to do as believers. It's take on disciples who are replicating disciples. Jesus' last command to us was go and make disciples. Yes, having this father-son relationship that we walk with them, we talk with them, we encourage them, we help them, we show them our genuine concern, we show them what Christ's likeness looks like in our lives. It's fascinating that as Paul's thinking about somebody that he would send back to this beloved Philippian church, he chooses Timothy because of his genuine concern and their equality of mind that they have walked through so many things. And so he is sending Timothy as a representative of himself. And I'll ask you, how does your discipleship look today? Are you discipling the people that God has put along your pathway? Most importantly, your own children who are under your household. The people who God put along your pathway who are younger than you, or maybe as you are younger, you need to do somebody younger, and if you're older, you need to find people who you can pour your lives into. And lastly, as our time is running short, this last thought here is the significance of Epaphroditus. And the reason why significance is not underlined is because I wanted you to have to try to write the word Epaphroditus. All right, so that's just to be honest. I thought that you should have the honor. If I'm going to say it, you've got to try to figure out how to write it and spell it. So Maybe leave it up there for a bonus moment, but the significance of Epaphroditus. You see verse 25 through 30, we see who Epaphroditus was. He has come from the Philippian church to be a representative, and you see this fascinating word here at the end as we conclude this morning, that Epaphroditus has labored for the Philippian church wholeheartedly to the point that he has almost died. But for an intervention of the Lord that saved him just the last moment so that Paul wouldn't be faced with sorrow upon sorrow, God healed Epaphroditus. And now Timothy, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. But you see what Paul says about it, that this guy is laboring for the Lord. 
doing everything for the Lord. This guy is rejoicing in the Lord, laboring beside him for the Lord. And it says in verse 30, or verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Friends, the significance of Epaphroditus, a guy who's mentioned almost, I think, two times in the entire Bible, is that this is the kind of guy that Paul wants to elevate and say, honor this kind of guy. May not be flashy. He may not be super crazy doing all these crazy works and deeds and all this kind of stuff. But this guy risked his life to the point that he almost died serving the Lord. This is the kind of guy that Paul wanted to elevate and say, emulate guys like this. And friends, we have a lot of people in our culture that we want to emulate and hold up high, but this is the kind of people that we honor and lift up. People who have given their lives to the service of the Lord. People that we want to emulate with our lives and honor. People like Epaphroditus. He's like a blip on the radar of Scripture. But because of Epaphroditus' faithfulness, we have this book that we have labored through for the past several weeks, the book that has meant so much to me personally because Epaphroditus came from Philippians to the uh, Roman uh, jail cell, and he has now gone back carrying this letter back to the Philippian church to encourage them. Think about what Epaphroditus' faithfulness has done for you 2,000 years later. What an encouragement. The guy whose name is written almost two times in the entirety of scripture. This is the kind of guy that we honor because of his faithfulness to the Lord. Friends, you may not have statues written about you or molded in your honor. You may not have your name that'll be legacy for tens of thousands of years. But if you are faithful to the Lord's calling, you are doing a stand-up job. You will hear those words, well done, good and faithful service, not if your name is written all throughout scripture, not if your name is written in the history books for all of time, but if you have been faithful to the Lord's call in your life, as Epaphroditus was, to go and minister to Paul and then go take this wonderful letter back to the Philippian church. So friends, this morning, as we have looked back about last week, now let's look forward, let's learn it so that we can live it. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your truth. Lord, we don't have everything together. We don't have all of our ducks in a row. We confess desperately that we need you. As we come to this moment, we just ask that you would give us, Lord, a genuine concern for those around us. Lord, if Paul had to write a letter about us, what would he write to be the summation of our calling? That we were faithful to the calling What what, what, what would we see there in those pages about us? Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be resolute. We want to trust in you, Lord. We want to follow you to the ends of the earth. Lord, we love you and thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.